0: It is a rainy day. (laughs) I know, Brian tried. And uh, Brian, thank you for wanting food so much. We share that. On my rainy day, I want to sit by a fire and watch the 49ers beat whoever they're playing. (laughs) But one day in heaven, that will happen. (laughs) Hey, uh, I just pulled up the U version on here i've you know we've heard about this and what have you and i use U version all the time for my devotions my reading plans all that and i just pulled up the message notes and it's just so easy to do so i want to encourage you if that's the way you take in your bible i know you're not playing angry birds or pokemon go or something there on that phone uh, but that would be cool Uh, if you're uh, like me and you like written stuff uh, there's message notes and you can get those in the back you know, um, growing up, I grew up in Marin, and um, spent my whole life there till I went away to college. At some point during my teenage years, uh, my father, looking back now, parented from a do-what-I-say mentality to a see-what-I-see mentality. Uh, I can't talk to him now. My dad is in heaven, but um, I think in his mind, he thought, if I can just get my teenage son to see what I see, he'd be more inclined to do what I say. Uh, This came out, and I remember the first time he asked me this question. This would come out time and time again with this question. What do you see, son? What do you see, Gary? What do you see? The first time I distinctly remember this, uh, I was up about 70 miles north of here in Hillsburg, California. Uh, My father's side of the family immigrated from Tuscany, and they settled in a terrain similar to uh, Tuscany, uh, Hillsburg at the time. And my father spent um, every summer working the vineyards and the hops and the green beans and the prunes in his day, but working this very land. I found this picture on the internet. Um, and, um, and so he thought it'd be good for his boys to have that same experience. Uh, now, my mom's side immigrated from Sicily, and they settled in the North Beach district in San Francisco. And my grandfather on my mom's side had mafia ties. And so my father, in thinking of getting in touch with the heritage, we'll go through his side of the family as opposed to my mom's. So I knew it was a rite of passage. My brothers would go up there. They are much older than me in their teenage years. And and finally it was my summer. I didn't go with my brothers. I just went by myself. And I wasn't looking forward to it, to be honest with you. A week of my summer up there, and, and I spent a lot of time up there, but never alone, and and somehow that leaked. And so my Uncle Frank called my dad and Uh, In the middle of the week, we were having dinner. My dad walks into dinner, and I'm thinking, this can't be good news. (laughs) After dinner, he says, come on, let's go for a walk, and we walked these vineyards. And he stops by a vine, and he holds it, and he says, what do you see, Gary? And I was complaining to him about my week and what have you, feeling sarcastic like a lot of teenagers do. And I said, I see dirty, dirty vines. I see budding grapes. I see a boring week when I could be at home playing with my friends. And dad said, well, let me tell you what I see. I see you walking in in your heritage. He said, you know, your grandmother, when she was younger than you, walked this ground and worked these vineyards. And when I was younger than you, I worked these vineyards. Your older brothers worked these vineyards. And now it's your turn. He said, I see this place almost as a gymnasium for your character. And then he gave me a life axiom. You'll never regret working hard, Gary. And this place allows you to work hard. He said, I actually see your cousins having a better future than your Uncle Frank or your Nana Mary ever, ever dreamt of having for themselves through these vines. And then he said, I see good wine on tables all over California because of what these vines produce. Now, I didn't see that. But we left, and that was a game changer. That conversation was a game changer for me during that week. I saw those 40 acres differently. The terrain was the same, but my perspective changed. And so did my attitude, because I saw that farm through my dad's eyes. Central to the teachings of Jesus is almost a similar thing. Jesus walked this planet and came to earth in a human form, to communicate this message, if you could just see how God sees, you'd be more inclined to do what Jesus says, what I say. And I know if we, when we read the scriptures, if we could see the world God sees, we'd be much more inclined to obey the scriptures. Through Jesus, we get as close to understanding God and how he sees the world as you'll ever get it'll never get closer than seeing it through Jesus' eyes and reading about how Jesus lived when he walked the earth because Jesus was God in a body. And when we have this Holy Spirit-empowered vision, obedience to the scriptures makes sense when we see how God sees. Neighboring makes sense when we're called to love our neighbor, even when they're hard to love, when we see our neighbors from God's perspective. Parenting And what we're called to do in bringing our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it makes sense when we see our kids from God's perspective as opposed to our own. My role as a husband makes much more sense in my call to die to myself daily more and more and more and lay down my life more and more and more when I see Ann from God's perspective. You know, the truth is, what we just experience in this greeting time and being together and worshiping God, you getting out in the rain and going to the effort to drop your kids off if you have them or just come together here, it only makes sense when you see it from God's perspective. There's much more than meets the eye than what's going on right now with each other. It's holy when we see it from God's perspective. See, when we see how God sees, we'll be much more inclined to do what Jesus says. So modeling and teaching how God sees the world, it was the mission of Jesus. It's why he came to earth, to show humanity how to be human from God's perspective. And it was the driving big idea of his most famous sermon. The sermon we're looking at a portion of it today, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the big idea that we've been talking about for two weeks. It's actually the big idea of all of rooted, although we've never said that and we didn't plan on that. That's my words. But really what we're talking about rooted is if we could see how God sees, we do what Jesus says. The Sermon on the Mount, that's it. That's the whole message of Jesus. See how I see. And today Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount different aspects of our life, but he finally gets to money Because Jesus can't talk about the human existence without talking about money, or more accurately, about our stuff. I'll explain that in a few minutes. Because Jesus talked more about money than he did about prayer, than he did about faith, than he did about heaven, than he did about hell. Jesus talked about money all the time. Because he knew if we're going to be aligned with him, He's going to entrust resources to us, and we've got to manage them well. He knew the greatest, ready? The greatest competition in your life and my life for our allegiance with God, it's not the demonic realm. It's not other small g gods. It's not idols we make. And are you ready for this? It's not who's going to win the next presidential election. Isn't that a relief? We're kingdom people, right? Right? The greatest competitor for my my allegiance to the lordship of Jesus Christ as his follower is how I see my stuff. More importantly, the grip my stuff has on me. I wrestle with this every day. So he comes to this place now and he says, you know, let's talk about money. And he wants to give us, I want to give us, God's perspective on our stuff. Isn't that good news? I hope that's good news for all of us. Grab your notes and let's look. What does he teach? First of all, he says, how God sees your stuff, it's a tool. It's a tool. Look what he says in verse 19 to 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You need to know there were no banks in the first century to Jesus' audience. They were an agrarian culture. And so anything they accumulated, they would either have to build a bigger barn for. Jesus told a parable about that or store themselves. So Jesus is talking right to where they are. But, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, that's where your heart will be also. See, Jesus is not saying that our wealth will be lost. Jesus is teaching Our stuff will definitely be lost one day. You're going to depart with your stuff one day, each one of us. The question Jesus raises is this, when? When? Either it leaves us while we're alive or it leaves us when we die. And I've got some verses supporting that on page one. But God says, you know what, it's not just stuff. There's nothing just material about this piano. It's a tool. Everything I give to you is a tool to be used for my kingdom and for my glory. Jesus teaches, and the author of all the quotes on the bottom of your outline, uh, Randy Alcorn, said this. He coined this famously. Jesus teaches, you can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. Amazing, amazing. God sees our treasure as an investment strategy. Always reaping a return on an investment that will never be taken away from us. When it comes to God, he's always bullish. There's never a bear market in heaven. Never. Now listen, I can't even continue one more second without stopping and thinking throughout this whole week. I have, uh, in my study, just had a smile on my face of the hundreds of PCCers who get this who look at your homes, your cars, your pools, your kitchen tables, your spare bedrooms. I've been around long enough to know the stories that that linger here that we forget. This very piano was a tool invested for the glory of God. Uh, It's not just a grand Steinway, one of the finest pianos in the world that came from New York. It was a tool that someone invested in the kingdom. Think of how that tool has reaped a return on investment. The year this person donated it, they got an $80,000 write-off for one year. But in the decade since it's been donated, think of all the praise that's gone up to God, like this morning, when we were led so beautifully because of this. And part of that worship to God, part of the return on that investment, goes to that man's account who gave it in honor of his wife who loved music. I can't stop but say to you at this point, come on, get this. The reality is, everyone, please look right here. For many of you, you get this. And I'm so humbled because I get to see firsthand, and I don't even know all the stories of how you seeing your stuff as a tool is used by God greatly, greatly. And so I applaud you and thank you. I think of five years ago, we did this thing called Covenant Kids Congo, uh, powered by World Vision, and we joined with World Vision, and many of you have done this, uh, in adopting kids in the most under-resourced place in the world, the poorest, most under-resourced place in the world, and it was a $40 a month commitment, uh, and hundreds, over 300 kids from this body was adopted. One woman came to me and said, you know what? Uh, We had a goal, and I won't tell you what the goal was. She says, whatever you're short will take every kid. Um, And I think of, uh, I learned the story of this middle schooler who heard about this. Her heart was gripped by this story. And she did the simple math in her mind and realized, my allowance is $40 a month. It's $40 a month to sponsor one of these kids. And she turned to her mom and said, you know what? I don't want all of my allowance. I want to adopt a kid. That makes her 100% tither. (laughs) That makes a middle schooler, and I don't see any giving records. You need to know that. I I don't see any giving records. But in my mind, I don't think anyone here is giving 100% of their income. A middle schooler, the most generous person in our church, who gets this and sees her income and her wealth as a tool. One day she'll meet that kid, and one day, she'll see the return on that investment. I think of this image, too. I'll just share one more. I could, I could take hours. That's a Toyota Previa. That's the car I was picked up in when I flew here from Chicago in 1996. Ann and I were picked up in this very car. It looked to me like an egg on wheels. <laughs> um, it was a 95 Previa, and we got dropped off at our house uh, and then two years later, that family that owned this car, I was the student ministry's pastor, donated this car to the church. They got a $10,000 write off the year they donated this car. But you know what? The years I was in student ministry since then, the hours of conversation I had in this car, pastoring from the driver's seat, the amount of perspective talking to students about purity about what it means to follow Christ as Lord, about seeing their high school not as a place to get good grades and get to college only, but a place as a spiritual battleground to share the gospel. All the time students made courageous decisions in their adolescent years in this car, a portion that was credited to this couple's account. One time we were in L.A. at this, uh, this crazy outreach we did. I have no idea who had this idea, but we were in South Central L.A. And Paul Phelan, who's now our family ministries pastor, who's taken family ministries so far beyond what I ever could. Uh, he was a teenager at the time. And Paul, even in his teenage years, got this and saw his campus and his neighborhood as a, a harvest field where God's love could go through him to other people. He kept reaching out to that guy in the second row, Rocky Giovanetti, who lived next door to Paul, and kept bringing Rocky to youth group. Well, Rocky one day came and said, I'm going on this trip, this inner city trip to Los Angeles. And in this very car on a trip, having a conversation with a volunteer youth leader in the back, Rocky gave his life to Christ. And Rocky went on to serve in the military, and I remember when you were there, bro, praying for you and and was working all this stuff out, but knowing that I'm not over in the Middle East just to be a soldier for God. I'm over in the Middle East to be a soldier for Christ. And the angels applauded. (laughs) Last week, Rocky was on this platform with his beautiful wife. He followed my leading in marrying out of his league. Uh, and Rocky was on this platform. We dedicated 14 kids last week to the Lord, including little Boaz. And as I talked to Rocky about Boaz, you want to clap for that? Yeah, we can clap. That's awesome. That's a work of grace, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, as we, I was talking to Rocky about Boaz. I'm like, why Boaz? In a good way. Like, why you, I want to know what's behind the name. And he, Rocky told me, you know what we want? Uh, in the Bible, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Uh, He redeemed the family name for Ruth. That's what we want for Boaz, the Giovanetti name to be redeemed for the glory of God. Now listen, every act of faithfulness and every way that God's grace has met this couple uh, and every way that it's expanded through them, a portion of that goes to that couple's account in heaven who gave us that car. And then everything that little Boaz does in his generation for Jesus Christ, a portion of that is credited to the account of this couple. They got a $10,000 write-off in one year. But in heaven, that return is still coming in. Come on, isn't that incredible? Guys, <laughs> it's amazing to me. Yeah, we can clap for that. I can go on and on and on. Uh, can I just share one more story? Um, There, uh, this single mom in our church told me this story of, of, uh, who's living in a house, by the way, of a PCC family whose parents lived in a house and their mom had to move into a care facility. She had this empty house. They could get top dollar rent for this house. Does anyone know about the rents around here? Okay. Um, But they're choosing not to get top dollar rent. Instead, to give this house, through the church, to this person who, in, a, in a bracket where she can afford it so that she can serve at PCC. Amazing. So oh, we can clap for that, too. Right on. Clap away, everybody. Come on. We can do that. Well, it gets better. Stop clapping. I don't have that much time. Uh, uh, so this day, this, this, this bag of groceries shows up on her doorstep. And in the bag is a note. I was at Safeway. And as I was walking through, God convicted me with all the buy one, get one free stuff. And I decided, God convicted me, all the free stuff I get from buying one goes to you. So this bag of groceries isn't from me. It's stuff I bought for me, but I got free and I'm giving to you. That's a tool. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Everything we have is a tool that can be used by God in his hands. Kind of gives a different perspective, doesn't it, on our stuff. What do you see, PCC? What do you see? Well, Jesus goes on, and everybody leans in as he continues this message. The eye is the lamp of the body. This seems a bit disjointed. I hope to bring some clarity to this. If your eyes are good, uh, good there in the original language, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Good means single-focused, not divided, single-focused. Does anyone read the King James Version? A few of you? Okay. They've, in the first service, 855, the whole congregation, it was (laughs) awesome. Um, uh, They've translated it and kept that true meaning. It says in the King James, if your eyes are single, uh, that's what it means, if your eyes are singly focused on the throne of God and on eternity. See, Jesus was all about this because he knew if we could just see what God sees, we would do what Jesus says. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, what does that mean? Uh, In Jesus' day, the rabbinic teaching was, and it was prevalent all over Jesus' day, uh, bad eyes were selfish eyes. And the rabbis would talk about bad eyes, you're selfish. So Jesus just pulls that right into his teaching. If your eyes are selfish, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is your darkness, he says. Know what he's teaching here? You see it in your notes. Your stuff is a test. It's actually a vision test to determine your worldview, to determine the singularity of your focus. Imagine at this point, just say we got on a plane from SFO to LAX, a 50-minute trip by air. Uh, You're getting on a plane, and you sit down in your aisle seat, and in the window seat is a person, and it's called a female, and she sits down, and all of a sudden, she opens up her handbag that she's carried on, and she pulls out handmade curtains and puts them over her window. And then she brings out a rug that she's, I stitched this myself, and she puts it down neatly on the floor in front of her. And then she starts pulling out pictures of her family and her grandparents framed. And she puts them all over on the seat around her. And then she pulls down the lap tray and she puts on it a beautiful place setting, the best china, the best silverware. And she says to you, I I really want to enjoy this ride. What would go through your mind? It's not that long. (laughs) Fifty minutes. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. His brother, James, wrote this book called James. (laughs) And in it, he said, what is your life? It's a mist. See, when we have good eyes, we realize we don't have long for this world. None of us has a guarantee of tomorrow. I've been around long enough, people. Been around long enough. We have no guarantee. We prayed this morning. God, as a pastoral staff... There's no guarantee all of us will put our head on a pillow tonight. We may be in your presence tonight. And Jesus is saying, "You know what? Be careful. It's not that long of a ride. Be careful with your stuff. It's not all about you." That's exactly the vision test he's talking about. How we see our stuff, how we manage what we assume is ours, reflects our devotion to the one it actually belongs. Can I say that again? How we see our stuff, how we manage what we assume is ours, reflects our devotion to the one to whom it actually belongs. Do you have good eyes? Do you have selfish eyes? I think of my first church I served, Marin Covenant, great church, my home church. I went there right after I came to Christ. And by the way, this is Reformation Sunday. It's the church we celebrate, Martin Luther, uh, putting the protests on the door 500 years ago. It's also my personal Reformation Sunday. Halloween night is the night I gave my life to Christ. uh, uh, It's a long story, but it's a great story. I'll tell you some other time. Um, Why did I tell you? Oh, after I came to Christ, I started going to Marine Covenant as a student, and they they were absurd enough like eight years later to call me to be their youth pastor. We were going to Mexico. And uh, Marin, where we were, I, my first thing that caught me with Marin was a type of car in the parking lot. I, was, I grew up in Marin, but I grew up in Novato, which is kind of the Bakersfield of Marin. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I remember pulling in the parking lot and going, oh, my gosh, tons of really nice cars. And the youth ministry was awesome. I was zealous for it. I was, gosh, just a few years older than the teenagers, and we were having a ball, and God was doing some great stuff, and it was time to go to Mexico, and tons of kids showed up and signed up to go to Mexico, but we didn't have cars. So I put out the call, and all those nice cars in the parking lot, no one would give them to us to take to Mexico. <laughs> and I, uh, I was just going, oh, what are we going to do? And one of the elders, uh, his name, he was just one of those pillars in the church. It doesn't matter what his name is. You don't know him anyway. He said, I'll take care of this, and so he stands up to make an announcement. He's one of the pillars in this church, and very humbly, he says, hey, do you know what the reputation is of Marine Covenant? He says, the reputation is we'll send our kids to Mexico, but we won't send our cars. Yeah, that's what they did, too. There was a flood of cars that were donated after that, and I just felt like I should drive the Mercedes, because that's just, i got to steward that one well. Actually, it was a Cadillac, and true story, I locked the keys in the car and had to break the window to get in, but, but that's another sermon. You know what God wants for us? Absolute freedom from the clutch of our stuff, and so he talks straight to us and says, do you have good eyes or bad eyes? That would be a good question to sit in today, to talk about whoever occupies your home, roommates or friends or neighbors, whatever, your kids. Spouses, Good eye, bad eye. And how would we know? Well, Jesus goes on. You know what amazes me at this point? He doesn't call for the offering. I'd be like, you got him, man. Get the offering. And Jesus is like, no, no. He never called for an offering. Jesus never took an offering publicly in his ministry. Did you know that? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, he says. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. And now God personifies money and says, you know what? Some relationships are exclusive, including your relationship with me. Now, you know, I I have multiple relationships. I don't have dual relationships. I have multiple relationships. Uh, I'm an uncle. That's not an exclusive relationship. I have a ton of nephews and nieces. I'm honored to be an uncle. Uh, I'm a sibling. That's not an exclusive relationship. I have a brother and a sister. No exclusivity there. I'm a neighbor. That's not an exclusive relationship. I have neighbors, right? Uh, Some of you are employed by different companies. That's not an exclusive relationship either. You can have multiple employers. But marriage, oh, that's an exclusive relationship, right? And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, he calls for exclusivity. He doesn't want to share his lordship with anyone else in your life, not because he's selfish, but because it's the best way for you to live. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to really go at the jugular now. You thought the good eye, bad eye was a little close to home? Here we go. He goes, you can't serve me? And he goes, what's the biggest threat to your allegiance, to my allegiance, to Jesus? You can't serve me in money. It just doesn't work. Now, none of us would build a shrine to money. But the word there is not money. It's mammon. Some of your the King James, other other Bible versions have mammon. The reality is, it's our stuff. And Jesus says, You can't serve me and your stuff. See, God sees our stuff as a trademark. A trademark. That's what Jesus is getting at here. A trademark is some kind of device or experience that communicates ownership, right? Uh, Do you know they built the 10th Starbucks in Rebid City? Did you know that? Why do we need 10? I don't know. It's downtown. But I know when I come by a Starbucks, I had a cappuccino there yesterday. Outside is this woman wooing me in on the logo. Come in, Gary. Come in to Starbucks. (laughs) And I know going in, the cappuccino is going to taste a certain way. It's the brand or trademark on the outside that pulls me in with an expectation on the inside. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching here. People don't see your hearts. Only God sees your heart, but what people see is how we manage our stuff, and how we manage our stuff is a trademark to what's inside our hearts. That's what he's getting at. Men and women, generosity is not a financial issue. It has nothing to do with finances. It has everything to do with our eyes and our heart. On the whole... I just want to say this. How do I know this? On the whole, we live in arguably the wealthiest place on the planet. We are the top 1% wage earners in the world. Congratulations, you're the 1%. On the whole, we are one of the miserliest counties in America when it comes to giving away our stuff. The number on the whole, 2.59%. Of the wealth accumulated is given to any charitable cause, putting us as one of the lowest counties in the world. See, what that tells me is generosity is not a financial issue. Rich people aren't generous. You know who's generous? Generous people are generous. Do you have a generous heart? That's what's in there. When you're the recipient of God's grace, when you see what God has done for you and continues to do for you day by day by day, when you know you fall short, you can't help but respond with generosity. Your stuff is a tool. My stuff is a test. Our stuff, it's a trademark. And again, I just want to say one more time, you do this so well. You do this so well. Thank you for living into this. If you need help for this in any way, in the bottom of page four, our People Development Department has tools for you. Financial Peace University, uh, a personal financial coach to help you move forward uh, in the stewardship of your stuff. Again, we don't want anything from you, believe it or not. We don't. We want only things for you. The freedom of walking with the Lord under His Lordship. Amen? Amen? Come on. Amen? Amen. Um, Father, thank you so much for loving us enough to give us truth. And now I pray for my friends and for myself, because I, I desperately need this. Uh, would you put corrective lenses over our eyes to see what you see, to see how you see, so we can do what you do? Obedience comes much more quickly and much more easily when we see how you see it. And Father, I know. 10,000 million years from now we're going to wish we applied this message more and we're much more generous with our stuff, our time opening our kitchen tables opening our date books and our calendars opening our car seats and just giving time and dignity for your glory to let you repurpose it for eternity I know we're going to want it then I pray you put the passion in us to want it now thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.